Hello and welcome to Unofficial Partner, the Sports Business Podcast. I'm Richard Gillis. Today's guest is Patrick Foster, who's written a brutally frank memoir about how he became addicted to gambling while at university, developing a habit that cost him £4 million and ruined his relationships and career. So this is an opportunity to talk about sports commercial relationships with the betting industry, something that's often couched in abstract terms. Things like new deals struck by rights holders, team shirt sponsorships and Ray Winston at halftime. We don't tend to hear from the people who are being targeted by all that marketing activity and how the sports business looks from the perspective of a gambling addict. Patrick Foster was a professional cricketer who became a city trader. We talk about what it feels like to lose everything to addiction and how he views the marketing strategies of the betting industry, its use of sport as a sponsorship and advertising medium, the psychological triggers within brand communications and the gateway drugs of gamification, fantasy football, the addictive nature of cryptocurrency trading and football's embrace of fan engagement tokens. Patrick's last bet was on King Crimson in the 210 at Wolverhampton on Thursday, March the 22nd, 2018. Following rehab, he has a new career educating young people about the perils of gambling. He can be contacted at Epic Risk Management and we'll put some details in the show notes. Might Bite, The Secret Life of a Gambling Addict by Patrick Foster is published by Bloomsbury Sport. And if you enjoy the podcasts, make sure that you follow me on Twitter at Unofficial Partner and subscribe to the Unofficial Partner newsletter that goes to thousands of people across sport every Thursday. Congratulations on the book, by the way. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's, it doesn't feel real yet. It's not what I ever thought I'd have a book about or wanted to have a book about, but it is what it is. And yeah, it's great that it's out there. So one of the bits I'd like to get into is the relationship between betting and the commercial side of sport, because it's obviously very deep and it's very important and significant in this whole story. But before we get there, let's just talk about the book. I mean, I've read a couple of fantastic reviews, one in the Times last weekend. Have you been pleased with the reception of people got and understood what you were trying to do with the book? Yeah, I think so. It's had a really positive response, which I think has probably showed or prove to me the relevance of the message and the fact that people are now much more aware of of probably how many people are struggling with a relationship with gambling or have a gambling addiction and the fact that now it's so normalized in and ingrained in culture and society that there that's what's going to come with it so yeah i think the response i've had has has been great and yeah i'm really pleased with the way people have have kind of bought into it and I think the fact that it obviously is a a personal story it's very honest account I I think people always always warm to that. So just give us a bit of of background because it was interesting one again one of the reviews I read is that this book reads like a horror story how could an intelligent man be so stupid that was one headline and part of it was here's a bloke who appears to have a lot going for him so professional cricketer working in the city and yet he had this sort of secret life so just take us through the early relationship with with gambling and how it how it just sort of grew yeah I unlike a lot of young people nowadays I I didn't have a relationship with gambling at all when I was younger when I was growing up it wasn't something that my family did wasn't something that a lot of the people that I was around when I was younger did. Like a lot of people, the only thing I thought of gambling was the Grand National once a year. 
And to me, that just seemed like a bit of fun and actually pretty stupid because your horse would usually fall at the first hurdle and you'd think, what's the point in that? So it wasn't it wasn't part of my life until I went to university, age 19. I was a professional cricketer at the time and I got introduced to it. I think there's a very good chance that I would have found it myself anyway in that environment, but I got introduced to it and it suddenly opened my eyes to a world I didn't know existed, but yet seemed so perfect for me, if that makes sense, in that I am super competitive and gambling's all about winning and losing. It was all about instant responses, instant reactions, rush buzz, which is what I craved. And it was intrinsically linked with sport, which I loved more than anything else. So I almost now sort of think, well, wow, me and gambling were always going to go together. And so when I found it, there was this kind of instant connection. Of course, then you you couple that with the fact that my first bet that I ever placed myself pretty much won. It made me think that that happens all the time. And very quickly, it was something that just became part of my life. And, and then over a course of time, would just play a bigger and bigger part in my life, but also start to play different parts or different roles. Because at one point, it might have been to fill the void that didn't exist when I finished playing cricket. And then at another point, it was a form of escapism for emotional turmoil I was going through. And whatever it needed to do, it it acted as that for me. So that first bet then was a couple of quid on a was it? It was on a fixed odds betting terminal. Yeah, exactly that on on roulette machine. I just put two pounds in my pocket because I was a student. I had it left over from the night before. I thought, what's two quid? Who cares if you lose that? And I put it on green zero because it was the only number on there that was different from all the others, and it was the last number to come up. And me being me, I thought, what the chance of it coming up twice in a row? And wouldn't you know it? Twelve seconds later, um, it came in seventy-two quid. And then you won on a horse, 250 quid, and you can see, and anyone can see, okay, well, you start to get drawn in at that point. Is that the moment? Is it as simple as that? Here is a moment in the story that he suddenly becomes a gambler who's hooked. But is it as easy as that? I don't think it's quite as simple as that. I I, I don't think it'd be right for me to say I was a gambling addict from the second that I won that money, that I placed that bet. But as I said, I was definitely kind of hooked. It was like, okay, this is this is great because not only does it provide me with this, it's also a way of making money, but also it's easy because I know loads about sport. And I've got a big ego, so I'm always going to think that I can beat the system as well. So, yeah, it wasn't as simple as, well, from then on, it was just a serious problem. But actually, looking back now, it was fairly obvious that from that moment, not a day went past where I didn't do it and every day was just a bit more and got bigger and bigger so uh, I guess it was it was from that moment but but of course you're not it's not having the impact that it had until a, a much later stage. So when you were at university and you were balancing you're at Durham but you were balancing that with a career as a professional cricketer at North Ants so at university and or in the dressing room was betting part of the conversation or was it you know was it just something people did or was it in the air at that point yeah it was it was actually interestingly at, at North Ants 
it, there wasn't a big gambling culture. Uh, I must say that when I was when I was playing, it wasn't something that a lot of the guys did. A university, it was. A lot of my mates did it. So yeah, in, in the dressing room at, at Durham, it was. But yeah, it was something that a lot of students did, particularly those kind of students that were interested in sport. Um, so yeah, it was very much something that was was going on. I think where I was different is that I did it with my mates and it was a bit of fun and I could afford to lose the money that I was losing because I was getting paid to play cricket. But I think the difference to from me, from my mates looking back, is that I was always doing it a bit more than everybody else. So everybody else would do it. They'd talk about it. I would then do it with them. But I'd also then find myself in a betting shop three or four t- additional times in a day or... I'd always just do it that bit more and and a lot of that was that element was secret. So very early on there was a there was a hidden secret element of it which I think was a probably should have been a much bigger telltale sign for me that actually this is something that probably shouldn't be going on. But is that part of the excitement the secret life? Yeah, absolutely and and as I talk about in the book that that almost became an addiction in itself towards the end and there was a kind of rush and buzz that you get from people not finding out or getting away with things and and that in itself was addicted for addictive for sure so just in terms of the span of the thing so we that's the beginning of it you're in your sort of late teens at that point 1920 at what point did you realize okay this isn't normal this is something that has to be addressed yeah, so 19 was when I started. A year, 18 months later, I'd, I'd been released from North Hans. And that point definitely triggered a change in my gambling because I suddenly had even more time on my hands because I didn't need to be doing the things that I was doing. There was also an element of me, for me, that it was it was kind of a form of escapism because I was actually really struggling to come to terms with what had happened to me, but I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to to let that on to anybody, but still at that stage throughout university. And indeed when I first went into the city and, and lived in London, it was money I could afford to lose in the sense that I wasn't getting myself into debt. I was probably doing it more than I should have done. And there were times where I should have been doing something more constructive or being at my desk or whatever it might have been but I wouldn't say at that point it was having a significantly negative effect on my life there were obviously times like there is on any gambler's journey where things don't go so well and you've got to dig yourself out of a hole and that's a bit stressful but it was short term rather than long term and then it all changed in December 2010 where I won I had a huge win I won a life-changing sum of money and at that point, overnight, it it changed. And that was the defining moment because almost immediately after that, it went from being a bit of a problem and a bad habit to a very serious problem that I completely lost control with. So what was the amount of money? So I won just under £35,000 from a £500 football accumulator bet. And to me at that moment, and obviously the financial side of gambling is relative. What's a lot of money to one person might be different to somebody else. But for me, at that moment in my life as a 22-year-old living in London, 
that mm. was a huge sum of money and and i think for most people it is but yeah it was extraordinary really i i still say the strangest thing about that whole episode was my reaction was that i didn't tell anybody about it mm. whereas most people i was in a bar at the time most people would have been running around the bar buying everybody drinks outwardly mm going bananas not me i just sort of smiled inwardly kept it to myself and never told a soul and and that reaction i think says a lot and that's to do with because it was part of your secret life you didn't want to share it is that the reason or is it just that you were numb yeah i think a a bit of that but i also think i felt that then people might if i suddenly got thirty-five thousand pounds people might think oh my word he's he must be gambling so much he must be doing it all the time it can't be just one bit of luck but also I knew then if I'd won that money and people knew about it eyes would be on me people would want to know what I was doing with the money uh people would give me advice about what I should have done whereas actually all I really wanted to do with it was gamble so that was the seemingly that's both the high point and the low point presumably so take us to the not the end of the story, but just towards the bit where you start to make changes in your life. Yeah, I mean, I lost that money in the space of a few weeks, which is obviously going to have a significant impact on on anybody. And it then made me feel stupid, guilty, embarrassed, ashamed, all the things that come with that. I started to then combat that by using other addictive substances and behaviours. I got myself into debt. The environment that I was in just wasn't conducive to to being or feeling like I was at all and I thought you know what I need to get myself out of this and I genuinely believed if I made a drastic change to my lifestyle it would get rid of the problem of course I know now that I needed to change me and myself so I made a decision to give up my job in London give up my life in London and go and become uh, a teacher because that's what I knew my family were all teachers I'd been brought up in that environment and I thought Actually, if I go and work in a school, people don't gamble. I won't have the time or money to do it. And therefore, the problem will just disappear. And in the short term, it it probably did have a a positive impact in that I did it less. It felt like an opportunity to draw a line in the sand and say, right, here's your chance to move on. But then I quickly found it again. And then, of course, it would just, for all the reasons I've talked about already, just increase, do it more and more and start to affect me. Financially, I wasn't in as nearly as good a position. And, and of course, it would start to affect me in so many different ways, emotionally, financially and professionally, because the more I was doing it, the more it was impacting on, on every area of my life, including my mental health, which it, it obviously had a profound impact on. You then... To get out of that, you've got that the, the basic gambler's problem of having to make bigger bets to try and clear the debt, bigger risks. And you then start to take out loans, friends loan you money, and then you get into money lending companies at extortionate repayment rates. What does that feel like when you're in that spiral? Do you know you're in trouble when you're trying to really make you know, bigger and bigger bets just to clear everything, get out? Yeah, it's, it's desperate it's you do realize you're in it because it's it's so stressful and money is money's stressful anyway but when it's when it's debt when you owe people money when people are chasing you for money it it, it is really difficult and it's all consuming because it was all I could really think about um 
the irony I always say about a gambling addiction is that no alcoholic has ever tried to drink himself sober. Whereas with a gambling addiction, I honestly believed that the only thing my the only way I was ever going to get out of it was to gamble my way out of it and have that one extraordinary piece of luck that was going to change everything. Of course, now I know that no amount of money would ever have been enough and whatever I won, I would have gambled away. But yeah, it was it was really tough. And towards the end, particularly, nothing annoys me more when people say, well, why didn't you just stop? If if I could have, I, I would have, but I needed to feed the addiction. And actually, money became totally irrelevant because I became numb to the reality of, of numbers. It wasn't, I just didn't even think, I couldn't rationally comprehend, well, that's a huge sum of money you've just borrowed and you've gambled away in, in literally a matter of minutes. It was just whether I could have another bet or not. I'm really interested in your view, given that context. And thank you for sharing that story. Looking back now at the sports industry, and we're obviously at an interesting moment where we've got a gambling review coming up and there is an ongoing conversation that goes from Premier League football shirts through to apps, online bookmaking, in-game betting, all of that. The defence that the gambling industry puts forward. It normally focuses on personal responsibility. It says, look, this is Patrick's problem. Patrick got himself into this problem and we can help him with various things. We can flag up that there's a problem, but actually it fundamentally comes down to him. It's not our fault. And then you get into that sort of middle ground where you have when the fun stops, stop type messaging. And then you've got betting firms who are positioning themselves around helping problem gamblers as they define them. What's your view of that whole landscape, having gone through what you've gone through? Yeah, it's a it's a very complicated one and it's quite a toxic one, in my opinion. Now, I think the biggest problem we've got with the whole situation is an inability to work together or collaboratively. And the fact that a lot of people or everybody's just trying to, as you just articulated, trying to blame each other and pin the responsibility on somebody else or something else. And actually, I think every party needs to take more responsibility um, for the problem to get any better. When it comes to my own recovery and my own uh, opinion, I take. I do take personal responsibility because ultimately I know that it was me who was doing these things. I know it was me that was placing the bets, that was making some of the decisions in in the initial stages. But I also know that there was an industry that probably knew what was going on and probably took advantage of me when I was at my most vulnerable. Uh, and shouldn't have done. And I'd like to think that perhaps it wouldn't happen in the same way that it did to me as it would now. But also I know that the industry didn't have to do anything because there wasn't stringent enough regulation in place to mean that they couldn't do that. So I I look at collective responsibility. I think what's 
good is that there's a lot more awareness around this, but I do think it needs to be treated as as almost like a public health issue and everybody needs to come on board, work together and play their part. But I don't agree with this notion that the individual is is not to blame in any way, shape or form. Yes, some of the products are addictive. They're designed to be addictive. Yes, there's advertising which encourages people to do it, often hooks them in. But ultimately, the individual has to take some responsibility. But we, everybody needs to do more. That's, that's my opinion. When you get to the level of, say, just logos on shirts, let's, let's put it at that point and we'll talk about other things in a minute. But are there triggers? I was interested in your relationship just to advertising and just seeing a logo on a shirt or on a perimeter board or seeing an advert at halftime of a football match or a cricket match. Would that have an impact on your behaviour? I think um, when it comes to advertising, the issue I've got with advertising is two things really one is the volume of it uh i think we've reached saturation point i think advertising has got to the point now where it's just excessive uh and there's absolutely no balance whatsoever and that's sometimes what i find really difficult is it's not just oh there's a gambling advert there's an advert for this that it's it's all gambling adverts and the other thing that i think there needs to be a lot more consideration and appreciation of is young people because it's the exposure that young people are getting to advertising when this is an illegal activity and yet it's been rammed down their throats it's so normalized that actually it's it's providing that kind of temptation um, to do it or or the belief that well it's what everybody does so i think they're the issues i've got with with advertising as a recovering gambling addict again i get constant reminders that i could have another bet and it's something that i've got to i've had to come to terms with and actually now it doesn't it doesn't have the same effect on me as it did initially but again the issue i've got is just the volume (laughs) the fact that it's so excessive i just don't think there's there's the right balance at the moment and they could make some pretty small but significant changes that i think would just redress the balance a little bit there's some interesting stats in the book about young people's relationship particularly and in terms of people who have you know gambled in the past year 47 percent of students 54 percent of 17 year olds going up to 66 percent of 24 year olds 16 percent of those are moderate risk or problem gamblers so to your point about university being a hotbed of this that the data does support that individual anecdote quite often the debate around legislation focuses on advertising you know there's too many premier league shirts and you've got too much at half time etc and it sort of feels a bit out of date in a way i'm not saying it's not important but actually what you're seeing is a sort of confluence of things like our knowledge or data for example and the level of personal data that a gambler gives to a bookmaker they just know presumably when how much and what your particular triggers might be and it's a relatively simple marketing solution to then feed that back to you and exploit that that knowledge that's i think the really difficult bit in there what's your view on that 
Yeah, I, I do think sometimes that too much is made of the importance of advertising and sponsorship and actually maybe the focus should be on other areas as well because actually as you just said there there are things that can be done particularly around things like affordability and measures that could be put in place to protect people whether or not they see an advert and then go and gamble which I think would be would be as important if not more important and yet everything is is pinned on advertising and sponsorship and and as I just said that's not me defending that area because I've I've just said that I I don't agree with the the extent that that goes on but I think sometimes too much of a focus is is put on that. Do you stay away from things like fantasy football games and, and other gamification stuff is that again I, I ask that for a reason is that sometimes in the debate you know all day every day in the sports business there is a question about fan engagement and that's a, sometimes a euphemism for betting there are grades of betting and actually the focus on things like fantasy is a good example and we're seeing it in the american market an opening up of the betting market and i just wondered if that is something that you would not go near yeah it's it's a really interesting question the answer is i kind of approach it on a case by case basis uh i do play fantasy football i do engage with those sorts sort of type of games uh i always avoid any monetary input but i also am very very aware of my relationship with it and the the kind of impact it has on me because I'm incredibly obsessive and I find myself even even with things like fantasy football if I'm watching the football at the weekend and a footballer I don't know gets subbed off I get annoyed about it and it, it does replicate some of those feelings that I used to get but I think having the the self-awareness to realize that and and it is really important and I I do have to be cognizant of it but I I also respect fully respect people who've been through similar situations to me who turn around and say actually do you know what I don't do it because it does generate those sorts of feelings but for me it's the the financial driver is the big one but um I can see my addictive personality manifesting itself in in those sorts of things for sure and is that the same with tokenization of football fandom? You know, so you have NFTs or you have cryptocurrency being promoted heavily by football. And part of that is fine. Part of that is sold as a fan engagement. You know, you can buy and have decision making over your, you know, small part of your club. The skeptics would say, actually, that's just a gateway to to cryptocurrency trading and betting and i'm interested in because obviously your financial background i'm not asking you for a view on bitcoin or or whatever but is that part of do you do you sense that's also in the sort of milieu that you would put those other triggers into? yeah i i mean i i stay clear of all those sorts of things i don't engage with it on on any level and it's i think an incredibly relevant point that you raise because it's certainly something that is emerging more and more in the work that we do as this is this is the kind of new gateway into gambling and and what's fascinating for me is i obviously engage with a lot of young people in in the education space and and 
talk about gambling by sharing my own story. And, and it used to be that, well, how do people get into gambling? They used to start with a one pound football accumulator at the weekend and it kind of built up through that. Now the way they get into gambling is through NFTs, through cryptocurrency, through trading and investment. It's very definitely the the kind of modern gateway. And of course, that's fine for some people. But if you're anything like me, once you're in, then it doesn't matter. You'll find anything. And I, I say to people now, I, I can't talk about experience with investing in cryptocurrency or anything like that because I never did it. But my word, if it was around when I was gambling, I would have had a right good go just like I had to go on anything else. So I think it's definitely something that needs to be part of the conversation. And again, going back to the work that I do now in the kind of sporting environment, this is something that uh, sporting organizations, governing bodies, management are very aware of when it comes to players. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those that as ever with the sports business and, and football is particularly guilty of taking the money and asking questions later. So if it's it's framed as a sponsorship partnership relationship, which means that someone is going to be paying and you know, if they see that that there is real estate to be sold and there is a new market and you know, part of it is a perfectly legitimate operation that is a marketing need on one side and a you know, it's always happened. And that's what sport has done very well at in terms of building profile of unknown brands very quickly. But this one does come with all of those questions. I want to ask you just to, as we round off, what you're doing now, because I think that's really relevant. Can you tell us the, the, the last bit of the book almost in terms of what's your job now and how is that relevant to the conversation? Yeah, so I, I now work for an organization called Epic Risk Management. We're an independent gambling harm minimization consultancy if you like and our focus is very much on education and prevention uh, it comes in many different ways I guess from a personal point of view I had a real desire to share my story with people because I didn't want anybody else to ever go through what I did and I never when I was younger received any education around the dangers and pitfalls of of gambling and what can happen and that transcended obviously a, a great education school wise, but also the fact that I was a young cricketer. And I believe that education is really important in prevention. At least then people can make more informed decisions, etc. So the work that I focus on is going into schools and, and talking to young people, telling them my story and, and saying, look, it's up to you whether you do this or not. I'm not here to tell you what to do or what not to do. But if you do do it when you're legally able to do it or you're already doing it, be very careful because this can happen. Similarly, in the professional sports environment, it's making professional athletes aware of the fact that they are more vulnerable because of the type of people that they are, the environments that they're in, but also the fact that gambling and sport are so intertwined now for all the reasons we've just discussed. So that's the kind of main part of, of my role within the organisation. But but then the organisation also delivers training using lived experience into the gambling industry itself because 
we know that everybody who gambles gambles with an operator and therefore the industry needs to be aware of what can happen and and what harm looks like from the other side of a computer screen but also maybe what they could have done when we were going through this what would have made a difference to us as individuals so i think it's an important part and we we've seen not only the business grow but it's now going global because we're working in the us which is a very nascent market and and i think where it's it's going to be really important but our focus will always very much be on harm prevention and and education um and i I think that's really important and and we've seen real buy-in from player bodies etc because this there's no denying that this is a problem in society but it's also a a problem in some high-risk sectors which we we operate in how did you find the gambling industry or the people that you you meet there is it an open and honest conversation or are they a bit shifty about it uh i i think it's it's difficult because there's no two ways about it they find it hard to hear what has happened what we've been through and i think it's important that they do understand that i think i think there's this kind of misconception that the industry set out to cause harm i i think that's unfair and and i think anything that's addictive there will there will be people that um get addicted to it and and suffer but i think as i said they need to understand that they can and they should do more and if if they make even some small changes it might make a difference to one or two people and as far as i'm concerned that's a good thing but i also think it's really important from their point of view because i think in the current climate at the moment i'm not sure the gambling industry is sustainable because i think yeah i i i, I think from a sustainability point of view i think it's in their best interest to ensure that there's as little harm as there possibly can be and that people gamble safely and fairly what what makes you say that about the sustainability question i i just think they're under they're under a lot of pressure and scrutiny at the moment there's a lot of comparisons drawn with the tobacco industry and right, yeah. i think it it could go one of two ways for them and i think they they need to act and do more otherwise i think it it will go in that direction okay well listen it's great to to meet you might bite what's the significance of the title so might bite was uh, the name of the horse i i put a very large sum of money on on my final bet and that the name of the horse was was might bite um and of course it is a, a bit of a play on words because gambling um won't be a problem for everybody and there are lots of people that do it and and get a lot of pleasure from it and it's a form of entertainment but um it does bite some people and it bit me pretty hard and and i certainly don't want anybody else to ever go through what i did well listen good luck and it's great to to hear about the work you're doing at the moment and i'd love people to connect with you if they want to quite often people get in touch and say you know who was that guy talking on the podcast and so i'll point them in your direction but uh, in the meantime patrick thanks very much for coming on no thanks very much for having me